I'm Sarah Resnick. And I'm LaShawn Moore. And we are the hosts of the Weave Podcast, a project of the weaving yarn shop, Just Yarn and Fiber. Hi, everyone. Welcome to episode 95 of the Weave Podcast. This week on the podcast, I'm speaking with Catherine Cross Tinsus. Catherine is an interdisciplinary, multidisciplinary artist with a focus on environmental and social issues, traditional fine craft, and sustainability. She's a career artist whose collaborative work spans across the southeastern United States. She works with natural fibers and dyes with a deep focus on artistic practice, teaching, activism, and invitation for participation. And I'm excited to speak with her today. Hey, Catherine, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much for your invitation. Can you start out by introducing yourself and telling us about your background? Well, I'm Catherine Cross Tenzis. Um, at 65, I can now say I've spent a lifetime in the arts, both as a practicing artist and educator from Greensboro, North Carolina. And uh, I've worked, you know, uh, all in the southeast. And some of the things that really have affected my career were uh, as a young mother at 24, I committed to working with uh, North Carolina's first certified organic farmer and two others, a humanities professor and an environmentalist who is now retired from the Environmental Protection Agency. And our nonprofit was funded by the R.J. Reynolds Tobacco Family Foundation, Z. Smith Reynolds Foundation, and uh, Mary Reynolds Babcock. And as well, the Southern Christian Leadership Conference funded our work. And this project was at the cusp of the American agriculture movement in 1977 when farmers organized and went on strike. Our goal was to organize sustainable marketing systems for small family farmers in North Carolina. The project engaged with best practices for organizing and sustainability, excuse me, with many of the farmer-run programs still in place today. We put farmers in place as we worked our way out of our jobs Today, one of the first projects, the Carbo Farmers Market in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, still thrives. My interest came from my grandparents in Greensboro, North Carolina, who were food merchants. My grandmother was an artist. And in the PD region of South Carolina, where my grandparents were farmers. And I grew up going to uh, art exhibits, taking art classes, and just being exposed to the arts altogether. Is that kind of how you began working as a multi and interdisciplinary artist? Well, I didn't realize I was an interdisciplinary artist. I, um, as a young artist working and thriving in arts communities like Winston-Salem, North Carolina at the Sawtooth School for Visual Arts and the Southeastern Center for Contemporary Art and in Chapel Hill's West End at the Art Center, I was surrounded by incredible talent and an abundance of opportunity to learn, teach, create, and exhibit. And over the years, due to the nature of my work with museums and education, I've worked with many mediums. 
and although my education was in graphic arts and printmaking, I never considered myself involved with interdisciplinarity until Jude Goudier Mosier at the Orlando Museum of Art described me as an interdisciplinary artist because of the way I engaged with students providing a diverse array of unique and experimental approaches to art making involving a vast variety of uh, mediums. I love uh, creating LaShawn and exploring boundaries with different mediums. And many times when I work these days, it's like a science project where the element of surprise is ever present. And this to me is what scaffolding creativity is, is all about. Wow, that's really powerful. And I can see how all of that kind of comes together in your work. I see a lot of different signifiers and symbols and symbolisms that sort of pull from history and traditional craft as well as agriculture. Can you kind of break down how all of those things sort of work together and relate within our society? Like, how does craft and agriculture, how, how do those two things work together and, and how are they related to one another? Well, environmental and social issues are constantly at the crossroads impacting the quality of our lives. And the issues manifest in both permanent and temporary situations. So in my work in traditional and fine art craft, the arts can establish that uh, sustainability for changing attitudes towards specific social issues can create a long-lasting positive outcome. So as artists and visionaries, we uh, carry out traditions with materials used that can promote recognition of best practices for environmental conservation for water and land use global cultures, artistic practices, and identities. So through my work, it's been my hope to bring awareness and scaffold change uh, and consideration about art-making materials um, and how they're made and where they come from. So social and environmental issues um, go hand in hand, and artists have the unique opportunity through the arts to uh, you know, bring about change. Yeah, I agree. I absolutely agree. And I think it's a really beautiful way to engage people in um, social issues and to sort of have the conversation through using creativity. I noticed that many of your projects are based in natural dyes and agriculture. Can you talk about how these two things sort of live aesthetically in your work? I notice a lot of indigo dyeing and a lot of fiber. Well, my, my choice of materials, use and things is who I am. Um, the uh, Sometimes I just, you know, am drawn to certain things and I don't really give too much thought to that, but the connections to my past, present and future and how I may relating to them at a specific time or place seems to be uh, a recurring theme. Uh, the seasons, the coast, the mountains, the environment as a whole, time and continuity of daily practice has scaffolded the confidence um, for me to explore and simply enjoy the process of creating. And currently I'm spending a lot 
of time uh, preparing exhibition works and samples for workshops. So harvesting indigo and working with raw materials for making natural dyes and pigments for fabric, paper, and bookmaking is taking up a good deal of that time. And as my North Carolina grandmother, uh, I am exploring more contemporary ways of sewing and creating community quilts. And I love that because it provides the opportunity to uh, bring people together and discuss some of the uh, social and environmental issues that we're faced with. And you mentioned that you are harvesting the indigo that you're dying with. Can you talk about where you're sourcing it from, how you're harvesting and processing it? Well, I've been um, for the past, probably since the early 20, 2000, 2000s, uh, I sort of started getting reinterested in the project that I'd worked with in the 70s. And I applied for some artist residencies to go out and revisit farms and see what young farmers were up to. And through the research, um, I spent a great deal of time at the library of Duke University and at the University of South Carolina and, and then in some small town libraries researching crops. And uh, when I learned that indigo had been one of the biggest cash crops in the United States, uh, I just kept going further and further, and then um, I started learning about ways to introduce these into my own art making, and so before I really started growing on my own, I started working to visit museums and organizations in the southeast uh, to, write, to try to reconnect. Uh, cultures with indigo and returning seeds to people who had once uh, gr grown it or would have had it in their community. And through that, um, I started growing it um, in different locations throughout the southeast, which provided me the opportunity to research um, how it grew in different climates, uh, where how it could grow in uh, from subtropical to tro tropical annual to perennial and uh, so uh, so in Florida I'm able to harvest it year-round uh, in the Carolinas uh, north of uh, you know the Georgia South Carolina line it's an annual which would have to be harvested uh, in the fall replanted in the spring and um, so, you know, that's, and then the actual making of the dye is sort of the process that most dyers who work with um, fresh indigo leaf uh, practice. And uh, so that's kind of where I'm at with that right now. Um, I just finished um, a project in uh, Ormond Beach, Florida with the Ormond Beach Art Museum with the Art and Agriculture Project. Uh, working with the school and the uh, Florida State Parks to um, bring that in as a STEAM and arts and agriculture co uh, connection with the indigo. And um, there it grows uh, year-round. Wow. And what variety of indigo are you using? Well, I, my focus is on the indigo ferro supertacosa, which is native um, the, to the uh, southeast region of the United States rather than the Japanese indigo. 
um, that was the uh, indigo that was brought in and has been growing uh, in the southeast United States for around 278 years. Yeah, I actually, um, this past season, grew Indigo Sufuticosa as well. Did you have good results? I did, actually. I, it took me a while to get it to germinate. I was lucky enough to get a lot of seeds. Mm -hmm. um, I had to replant three times, but by the third time, I was able to have germination. And then once they took off, they flourished. I mean, I had so much Indigo. If, if I could go back, I would have focused more on harvesting and mm -hmm. processing, which is really the bulk of the work when producing indigo. Well, that will come with time. Mm -hmm. You know, you're taking the first big step by, by be, becoming a grower. And in some climates, uh, for example, in Hawaii, uh, indigo is, Sarah is on the uh, invasive species list. Mm-hmm. So it can, in some areas, it can grow up to uh, 20 feet like cotton when uh, left unattended, which, you know, and by reseeding in those warm climates, it, it will continue to grow. And that's how in some of your uh, plantation lands further south, uh, for example, in Florida and Louisiana areas, you um, have indigo that's growing from the same seed. Uh, that's been growing, you know, for hundreds of years now. Yeah, and and can you talk about um, your process of how you create your indigo dye? Well, as I said, it's a matter of gathering, uh, fermenting, and straining, and just um, pretty much what you'll find all of your other uh, indigo enthusiasts participating with today. Yeah. And I'm also really curious about, as you just mentioned, the Art and Agriculture Project and Sweep Yard. How did that project come about and what are some of the different themes of the pieces that you put in the show? Well, the Art and Agriculture Project came about uh, when I started returning uh, to do research on what was currently happening in farming today. And through that, um, I worked with um, fiber arts and alternative photography processes like cyanotype and, um, and, and simple watercolor, well, not simple, but uh, watercoloring with uh, natural pigments and traditional watercolors, uh, as well as drawing and printmaking. Um, and I did a lot of that work during um, artist residency time provided by the Blumenthal Foundation at Wild Acres in North Carolina and the Rensing Center in South Carolina. And um, then the more I got involved in talking with new farmers and some of the older farmers who are still were still around, um, I. I I started getting involved in um, STEAM curriculum development because I'm in education and in art education. And uh, the next thing I knew, I was uh, engaging uh, with uh, artist residencies in schools in the Southeast uh, by helping um, art teachers develop intersections between art and agriculture in their STEAM curriculum. 
and uh, had the honor at, uh, last year to work with um, the uh, Savannah Urban Garden Group, the City of Savannah, um, Heard Elementary School, and the Fibers Department of um, the Savannah College of Art and Design to go in uh, to Heard Elementary and provide uh, an indigo day where the school could change their certification from STEM to STEAM, which would include the art aspect. Mm -hmm. And by working with the um, SCAD gardener, um, who was with the um, uh, Savannah Victory Gardens, uh, they wanted to incorporate indigo growing and harvesting and um, working with other uh, activities that could uh, engage with agriculture to um, to to keep this uh, as a as a sustainable um, part of the programming there at the elementary school. Mm, that sounds awesome. Well, I, it is awesome. It's very exciting to work with young people and. Um, help them understand where their clothes come from and what their clothes are made out of and um, give them the chance to uh, hold cotton and separate the cotton from the a ball from the seed and to open a pot of indigo and examine the seeds and plant dye gardens and experience um, uh, that agriculture is more than just um, food. Hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you've mentioned quite a few different places. I think at first you were talking about North Carolina and you mentioned Florida and now Savannah. Are you located in one of those areas or do you kind of work in all of all of the southeast? Well, I'm in North Carolina and in Florida and I work uh, and uh, contract with art museums. Uh, organizations and schools throughout the southeast, primarily from Virginia, uh, North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia, and Florida. And can you speak to the surrounding community, not just like, you know, people working in textiles and, and things of that nature, but also like what it's like to do the work with people maybe outside of uh, arts and um, fibers? Well, I, I think when I'm going into the schools, that allows my voice to be heard, not only by students, but by parents. Um, we, we are in a very uh, important time right now where our choices um, can have long-lasting outcomes as to our environment and by working in our, with our families uh, to think about um, the foods that we put on our tables, uh, how we commute to our jobs and to our places for social activities, and um, the clothing we wear. Um, these things now, um, it's, it's come down to um, a time when we really need to consider, um, are we thinking about the best way to um, provide in a way that doesn't affect our environment. 
also, um, you know, the composting. Or, you know, if you don't compost, do you have a neighbor who is a gardener who may want your leftovers? Um, water barrels, things that, things that you, you think, oh, I'll never do that, that takes too much time, but quite often it doesn't take much time and lots of times you may have a neighbor or a friend who may be having the same thoughts that you can get together with and, and work to, to do some of these things, not only as families, but as communities. Yeah, that's beautiful. Oh, thank you, LaShawn. <laughs> appreciate that yeah, it really is because it's I think it's it's you know your work really resonates with me a lot because I also work ethnographically and I consider myself to be an interdisciplinary um, designer and it's really important that you know in the years to come as artists we really learn how to integrate ourselves into everyday life and into systems and to really use our creativity to change minds and to sort of get people moving and, and to mobilize because you know this is a time where we really do have to be conscious about a lot of the decisions that were made in the past and also how they're affecting our future and the future of the generations to come. Yes that's true and some of our ancestors they really were participating with that best practices. And then, you know, comes along the late 50s and 60s where the frozen dinner and women returning to going into the workforce for the first time and a lot of things changing in those directions and uh, things that were quick were considered what you needed to have. And um, so we've learned now uh, over time that some of those... Um, great inventions and progress perhaps wasn't so uh, progressive um, as it appeared. Lashana, I, I hope that we'll have the opportunity to meet and perhaps we can uh, work together on a project at some point. Absolutely. I'd 100% be down. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, I, start, I know I go over into your territory from time to time and... Um, and, and, it's, and it's a beautiful area. And um, you're, you are uh, really put together some wonderful podcasts. Um, I've listened to some of your podcasts, and I certainly will be encouraging others to listen as well. Well, thank you. I, I appreciate that. I'm glad that you enjoy it and, and also are willing to spread the word. One thing that I, I also am really curious about that I often ask people who join the podcast about is um, how they're able to sustain their practice. What are some of the challenges of being an artist and working you know, consciously? How are you able to sustain financially and, and, and to sort of continue to move forward and, and to create these projects? Well, recycling has been a part of my... Um entire life it seems like you know from gifts from family to you know hand-me-downs and and I try to make informed decisions uh, about my work and the outcomes minimizing waste um, with thoroughly with thoroughly thinking through and um, preparing my lesson plans and prog and projects is beneficial for the environment and 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 hopefully the uh, finances for the organizations that I work for and myself. 
um, being on the board of the Rensing Center in South Carolina and a part of the work um, here for artist residencies and the uh, drawdown project initiated by Paul Hawkins um, is helps myself and others to be current with uh, viable solutions for climate change. Uh, I'm enjoying that quite a bit. Uh, buying from thrift stores and farmers markets, craft fairs, uh, growing my own, uh, just like having a dye garden and um, you know, ha I hope that that helps to contribute to the betterment of our environment for the short and long term. And um, you know, at one, at, I do like to sew, so I find that uh, recycling uh, clothing and um, doing things like that, attending swaps, and just those kind of things um, are things that I think um, are that uh, I'm pretty much involved in. And uh, I really uh, feel like that um, when I had worked for an organization uh, back in the 70s and then I revisited the work that was done um, all those years ago, I, I feel like that in some way helped to bring some sustainability full cycle and I was able to sort of uh, reinvent uh, some of the concepts and goals and objectives that I've incorporated into my artwork today. I really resonate with so much of it, especially the thrift stores and farmers markets and recycling. Such a really, really great way to... Um, live a sustainable lifestyle but also incredibly like financially beneficial <laughs> well it well it is and sharing you know mm -hmm. getting together with people and sharing before you're going to take something to the thrift store mm -hmm. you know the terms uh what is it um one person's trash is another person's treasure yeah it's so true and and there's so many once you get connected into like once you start to frequent a farmer's market, you know, farmers, you know, are really great people. They'll barter with you or maybe you have a skill or maybe if you come in a certain hour, you can get produce at a different price or, you know, things like that. Um, thrift stores are, are obviously, you know, really great places, not just, you know, for bargains, but also to get really special really special items and also things that carry more value. You know, I always try to explain to people that when you do get things from thrift stores, um, they're things that have been able to stand the test of time, which is something that doesn't really exist when you buy things new from the store today. So, yeah, I get it. <laughs> well, you'll find a lot of American made pretty much um, in your thrift stores that you won't find so much in some of your stores today. And um, it's a great place to find books. And um, But uh, one thing about farmers that people don't often think of is that many of your um, small family farmers, they um, are interested in what it is that you eat um, or what your needs are. And many times if they are growing something you really like um, and they there's something that you are interested in providing, for your family or at your dinner table, uh, sometimes you can speak to your farmer and uh, they'll grow it for you. 
you know, if it's worth their while, say you wanted to have some type of a special vegetable and you were a canner or you wanted to freeze it, you know, sometimes you can work with your farmers to grow things that you would like for them to grow if you don't have a green thumb. Absolutely. That is also uh, very factual. Do you have any new projects or future prospects that you'd like to share with our listeners? Well, right now, um, I'm doing a lot of uh, exhibition work, uh, preparing for um, a show with uh, the Shake Rag workshops in Tennessee uh, coming up in June. And um, I have a couple projects that I'm working on. Um, documenting um, gardens uh, with uh, alternative photography projects uh, where I'm uh, working for the for 12 months documenting different plants and um, and probably will expand on that by incorporating um, different dye from those uh, plants and just you know, playing around a little bit. Like I said, my life is kind of like um, full of the element of surprise and being able to uh, go in to an idea and transferring it from heart to hand, uh, but being open-minded and willing to uh, kind of enjoy uh, letting go uh it sometimes provides uh, some pieces that I would never have ever thought that I might create. Mm. And where can people go on social media and the internet to follow your work and to also see the new project that you're working on? Well, since I'm a one-man show here, updating my website is always a task at hand that I'm always slow to get to. But um, I do have a website, um, CatherineCrossTensus.com, and um, I usually, it's pretty fast, Instagram, um, I seem to enjoy that because that's a pretty fast way to communicate about upcoming workshops and uh, communicate with people. So I do have an Instagram account uh, called At Days Creating. And you spell it D um, D A Y S. Mm-hmm. Even though I might be in a day sometimes, it is all <laughs> about the days that I spend creating and scaffolding creativity with others. Amazing, and we'll make sure that we put that in the show notes when we publish this episode. Oh well, thank you so much. I appreciate that. No problem at all. So before you go, we have a question that we ask everyone that joins a podcast. And that is, do you have any advice or words of wisdom to share with weavers and textile enthusiasts? Actually, I think I do. Um, You know, I have a high regard for our weaver and textile enthusiasts. you know, mediums over the years have varied in popularity, and, and it's wonderful to see the fiber arts returning to the forefront. I love seeing young artists creating, like what I witnessed in the late 60s and 1970s. And still, I think for all my students and 
and in workshops and particularly to all um, to, you know really for any anything that you could be passionate about in your life is my only advice remains to stay true to your heart and your hands and work to keep a daily practice to be open and to rely on the gifts of mother nature she abundantly shares and therefore we should listen and care amazing thank you so much for sharing your story with us as well as giving so much of your insight and wisdom and and such beautiful advice well i've had a lot of fun talking to you today LaShawn, and uh, i really am honored by this um offer to to be a part of the gifts jarn podcast and uh, i hope that that something that i've shared will um, spark something in in some of your folks out there that will uh, help them make good decisions or or with their work or with their lifestyle choices amazing thank you so much okay thank you that's a wrap if you're interested in finding out more about Catherine's work or to see images you can visit www.justyarn.com slash episode dash 95. Next week on the podcast, I'm speaking with Kristen Arts, a natural dye grower and quilter residing in Oakland, California. She's the first quilter we've had on the podcast, and I'm excited to share our conversation. So stay tuned for next week's episode. And until next time, happy weaving. Happy weaving.